You are now listening to a Real Media Network production. to come about a minute by minute rewatch podcast of titanic wow <laughs> i struggled okay. getting so many of those words out for some reason <laughs> so many um, syllables ahoy hoy welcome back to come about a minute by minute rewatch podcast of titanic here we are at minute 173 of the film i'm mike brace and i'm here with my wife jenna What's up? You were just bouncing. You were literally bouncing. <laughs> uh, a little bit is full bladder, a little bit excited. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, you haven't bounced this much in an episode since you were pregnant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember there was that time? Yeah. yeah, that's man. right. How times have changed, huh? Didn't help. We were probably like 10 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> now we have less than 10 minutes left yes. of the podcast. And almost a one-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Wild. Cray cray. Okay. So what happened in this minute, Jenna? So, um, you know, Rose is looking up is how the last minute ended. And um, there's a shot of them coming up. You know, you see the words Carpathia on the ship. There's some people looking down as the, the boats row towards them. And then it cuts to them being on the ship. Um, I'm seeing a lot of things I never noticed before. Like, there is a sectioned off giant pile of where they've been putting the life jackets. You can kind of see it in this frame. You see that guy? Yeah. He's piling life yeah. jackets on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so just things you don't think about. And um, so, yeah, like, the, the people are loaded onto the Carpathia, and they are being... Um, you know, like, serviced by the workers. So you see one working lady bringing around, presumably, tea or coffee um, to different passengers. Um, You see these, like, two little girls who very unenthusiastically are playing, like, a hand-clapping game, Mm -hmm. which understandably they're not going to be like too into it but it's like why are you doing it yeah like you don't have to they just (laughs) look so depressed doing it anyways maybe it's taking their mind off of presumably the father that they just lost yeah um anyways cal is coming down the stairs and there is a worker and he's like oh sir like i don't think you're gonna find any of your people down here this is all storage steerage steerage and uh, Cal just kind of, you know, shrugs him off because mm-hmm. he's looking he's for too, Rose, obviously. He's too good to even acknowledge yeah, the guy. <laughs> um, so anyways, as he's kind of walking around the ship, you do hear a woman talking to another worker, um, describing presumably like her husband. She just keeps saying like reddish brown, reddish brown with a white beard. 
Um, and then he walks by another woman talking to a male worker saying, like, is there another list? Yeah. Like, names? And mm-hmm. he's like, no. And then she's like, well, he must be on a different boat. And he's like, we're doing all that we can. Like, I'm so sorry. And then you see Rose. Um, she's sitting down. She has a different blanket on. I'm assuming this is a blanket from Carpathia because yeah. the Titanic blankets are blue, yeah. checkered. Yeah. Carpathia, they're like a kind brownish, beige. I'm assuming, really? you know, her blue one's probably wet because yeah. she was wet and so they gave her a nice dry blanket. Um, so she's kind of sitting there. She has it pulled over her head to make a hood. And she noticed It's a good him. thing she did. Yeah, I know. It, it worked out that yeah. she's, you know, facing the other direction and is kind of hooded because uh, she noticed him walking behind her. And so she kind of shields herself more. And, you know, she's looking over her shoulder and he doesn't notice her. He keeps looking and then he turns around and starts heading back. So then you hear old Rose... Um, talking you know voiceover saying that that was the last time she's ever saw Cal and he married of course and inherited his millions and that is where the minute ends mm-hmm. how like it's crazy to think they still have another like three days of traveling because you mm-hmm. said they get to New York on April 18th do you think like boats yeah, yeah, they probably still divided them up by class. That's not what I was going to ask. Oh, okay. uh, I was going to ask, like, you know, they now have 800 more people to feed mm. and shelter that they weren't expecting. Yeah, but uh, they think, probably had excess. You and, think like, they had that probably, much extra food probably. for three days? Yeah, okay. yeah, probably, and, like, I think everyone... Even the first class people are going to be like, well, we don't need to go as extreme on right. our meals. Maybe yeah, we don't hopefully. have to have our yeah. five course meals or however many courses. I wonder what they like, do could, for accommodations because I remember in A Night to Remember, you know, the, the captain of the Carpathia kind of tells him them, like, rearrange the, the passengers to make room for them. But I'm like, if you yeah, are a like a sold a out boat mm-hmm. i'm assuming it's not like they have gymnasiums that they can kind of put yeah. people to it's yeah and it obviously is just a much smaller ship to begin with right so right i don't know that's great maybe let's read a bit about mm-hmm. the carpathia's role um was it going to new york like was that its course i don't know okay let's find out maybe Okay, so this is from the Maritime Executive, and it is titled Carpathia's Role in Titanic's Rescue. So, Carpathia was a workhorse. It wasn't one of the glamorous express transatlantic liners built to compete for the blue ribbons and and designed to resemble um, Versailles? 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 Where? For sale? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Only once was it met by hordes of photographers with flashbulbs popping when she arrived in New York. (laughs) 
built by C.S. Swan and Hunter and Walsend and launched with little fuss on August 6, 1902. The Carpathia, capable of just 14 knots, was intended to carry Hungarian immigrants from the Mediterranean ports of <sighs> Trist and Fiume to New York and a new life in the United States. This role was secured in the long term for the vessel Slavonia, Slavonia, and Pannonia, man, in 1904, when Cunard was granted the Hungarian government contract to carry immigrants, but its maiden voyage was from Liverpool to Boston in 1904. In November of that year, Carpathia took up her Mediterranean duties, plodding backwards and forwards year in, year out, without incident, carrying immigrants westbound at a fare of £5.10 shillings, and American tourists or returning immigrants eastbound. On Thursday, April 11th, 1912, Carpathia left New York almost un unnoticed just after noon, bound for Trist, as usual on a journey which, for momentous reasons, it would never complete, mm. but a journey which would take it from insignificance to celebrity. At about the same time, on the other side of the Atlantic, a hugely celebrated ocean greyhound was leaving Queenstown and heading for her west on her maiden voyage to New York. It was Titanic, brand new pride of the White Star Fleet, commanded by Captain Edward Smith on his last voyage before retirement. Titanic had on board many rich and famous socialites, the celebrities of the day, and her departure from Southampton had been at Adfitted as Carpathia's had been unnoticed. In command of the little Carpathia was 42-year-old Arthur Rostrun, an officer with Cunard since 1895 and master of Carpathia for just three months. With him were 700 passengers, 150 of them elderly American tourists, and most of the rest former immigrants making a visit home. At 12.15 a.m. on the morning of April 15th, Carpathia's wireless operator, Harold Cotton, um, was in the process of untying his shoes in the readiness for bed. He was 10 minutes later than he normally would be in turning in, in provident, providentially, providentially, his earphones were still clamped to his head. Had he not been, and had they not been, and had they not been, there would have been no Titanic survivors. Hmm. On That's receiving, crazy. yeah, on receiving the first SOS from Titanic at twelve fifteen, Cottom raised Captain Rostron, who was who had already retired for the night, and Rostron in turn rose to the challenge of his first maritime emergency with impeccable practical thoroughness. After a brief moment of disbelief in which he quizzed Cottom about the certainty of his seemingly preposterous claim that Titanic was in distress, Rostron immediately ordered a change of course. Carpathia was 58 miles from the Titanic. At 14 knots, it would take her over four hours to get there. The chief engineer was ordered to turn off all the heat and hot water so 
that every ounce of steam could be used to drive the engines. All off-duty stokers were raised from their beds to shovel coal into the furnaces as fast as they were able. Mm. Next, Rostrin ordered his first officer to begin specific preparations. The lifeboats were to be slung out, lighting rigged along the ship's sides. At shell, All shell doors were open in readiness, and slings made to haul up the children and the infirm. Ladders and rigging lowered, and the ship's forward cargo cranes made ready to lift aboard luggage, belongings, and lifeboats. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, all remaining crew were summoned to duty, and preparations were made to receive 2,000 Titanic passengers in the public rooms. Okay, uh, I was just going to ask you, like, would they have known that... They didn't have enough lifeboats for everyone? I don't know, because, yeah, that last sentence was, Meanwhile, all remaining crew were yeah. summoned to duty, to duty, and preparations were made to receive 2,000 Titanic mm. passengers. So they so were they, they were expecting everyone. pretty much everyone, yeah, uh, in, in uh, public rooms. Blankets and warm clothing were gathered to distribute, and tea and coffee and soup were prepared. First aid points were established in the three dining rooms with a doctor in charge of each. When all was ready, the ever-thoughtful Rostron ordered his crew to take hot coffee in preparation for the long night ahead. Yeah. The ship, meanwhile, strained and shuddered as it edged past her maximum speed as every stoker sh- shoveled coal into the furnaces. 15, 16, and finally 17 knots were achieved as the ship surged through the dark without radar past glistening iceberg visible to the lookouts only by reflections of the stars. Mm. At 4 a.m., Carpathia reached Titanic's position and Carpathia's engines... Um, were stopped as the crew, together with many passengers now on deck, have been alerted both by the hustle of the preparations and the increasing cold in their quarters, strained to see some sign of the ship. Suddenly, they saw a green flare fired by Titanic's lifeboat number two, and the first survivors came aboard at 4.10 a.m. By 8.30 a.m., Charles Leitoler, the final person to be rescued, Mm. stepped aboard Carpathia, now carrying double her original complement of passengers. Carpathia steamed slowly among wreckage and icebergs, seeking more survivors, but none were found. Rostron's next decision was to go. Halifax was nearest, but the passage would involve traveling through much ice, and he felt that the Titanic's survivors had enough of that. (laughs) The Azores... um, I don't know. The Azores... The Azores would have been the best destination to keep Carpathia on course and incur the least cost to Cunard, but the ship had insufficient supplies for such a journey with such greater numbers, so Rostron headed back to uh, headed back So Rostron headed back whence he had come, New York. Carpathia's passengers and crew did what they could, giving up beds and clothing to those who had survived near freezing temperatures, often inadequately dressed, but for many inconsolable widows, nothing could be done save allow for them to cry themselves out. 
Carpathia was besieged by calls from the press, which Rostin ordered were to be ignored, and when it finally arrived in New York on the morning of April 18th, it was accompanied by upriver by reporters in hired tugboats shouting questions through megaphones. Never had, never had Carpathia been the center of so much attention. Yeah. Eventually, the vessel berthed at 9.30 a.m. at Pier 54, from which it had set out just seven days earlier. Though much praised the decor, though much praised and decorated for his calm and exemplary actions, Rostron was reluctant to speak publicly about the Titanic disaster. In the references in his autobiography, Home from the Sea, published after retirement, were self-effacing, effacing, self-effacing, and devoid of sensation. But in response to a journalist querying many years later how the little ship could have been coerced to travel at a speed greater than the maximum of which it was supposedly capable, and how it progress safely at such speed through ice in the dark the deeply religious rostron simply replied a hand other than mine was on the wheel that night the now famous carpathia returned to her mediterranean duties until 1915 when it was taking up for war service carrying essential supplies from new york to liverpool but just four months from uh but just four months before the armistice was signed, while in convoy from Liverpool to New York, Carpathia was torpedoed three times mm-hmm. by U-55 on July 17, 1918, just 120 miles southwest of Ireland. Two and a half hours later, it sank with the loss of five crewmen's, crew members killed by an explosion. 275 survivors were picked up and landed safely at Liverpool. Hmm. Like so many others, Carpathia's days were ended by a wartime torpedo, Hmm. but unlike them, the little ship from the Tyne will always be remembered for its part in a night of tragedy and heroism. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Wild, huh? Yeah. Uh, going back to this real quick, isn't it kind of weird how, like, much she does look at him? Like, because there's, like, a good period where, like, he's yeah. kind of looking yeah. almost in her direction, and she just, right. like, looks back at him and then waits until she's completely, he's completely looking at her to, like, turn away. And it's just, it seems a little unrealistic that his peripheral vision, he couldn't realize that it was her. to know, like... Is he coming like my way? Do I need? Can you imagine if he body? did find her? Like, yeah, yeah, that would have been pretty bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that should just about do us for this minute. Do you think he's hoping oh, to find I guess it's not. Rose or the diamond? Um. Hmm. I think he he would obviously he obviously wants the diamond back, but I don't know, like. I'm sure he wants to keep Rose in yeah. control, like in his yeah. possession as well. Right. But mm-hmm. it's probably mostly about the diamond, yeah. okay. uh, you know, to okay. have that. But it, I think he also likes to have possession of her yeah. again. But yeah. Anyway, I think that should just about do yeah. us, right? Yeah. Uh, I got it right this time. Mm-hmm. It is. It's over. Okay. No more.
What's over? The episode. Yeah, it's Don't bring anything Bye. else up, okay? Thanks for listening. Bye. See you in a minute.